You guys there? Exodus chapter 23. Let's, uh, let's open up in prayer for a minute, all right? <sighs> Father, we love you. And yet, Lord, we cannot say that without acknowledging that you first loved us. And, Lord, we're so thankful tonight that we can open your word. And, Lord, the promise that it will not return void. God, the promise that you would speak to us and you would lead us and guide us. And so now we ask that you would put that torch or that lamp to our feet. God, that you would direct us in the ways that we should go. Lord, for any of us that have been leaning on our own understanding, Lord, take it away. Any that have been walking in just a, uh, a cloud, Lord, would it be lifted tonight? Lord, any that have come in brokenness, Lord, would you begin to mend, just gently but surely begin to mend tonight, Father. That we would have the opportunity maybe to hear your heart beat. And God, that we would not hold back. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we look to you now in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how often you guys take a minute or two to look around and just evaluate life, but much like the pitcher would do, as much as it drives me crazy in baseball when the pitcher just stands there and looks over his shoulder at first base and then does it again, or the quarterback takes that minute right before he says hike, to look around at the field and evaluate what's going on, God calls us throughout the Word to stop for a moment and to look around. And that we have to tonight, every one of us, we have to put our life on pause long enough to see what's really there. I don't know if you guys ever thought something was there and it wasn't, maybe like the boogeyman when you were a kid, or maybe it was a robber when it was a raccoon on your roof, or a variety of different things that happened. But throughout life, oftentimes there's an impression that's given, but the reality is very, very, very different. With where we are in Exodus, you look at the story, and it's amazing that God's people were enslaved to a very powerful nation. And in God's timing, he sent someone to free them from that slavery. And the, the plagues come upon Egypt, and God frees his children. He parts the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness, and God sustains them. Their stuff doesn't wear out says that he miraculously feeds them day after day by the bread from heaven or manna, and that he continues to lead them and to guide them by a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, stands up and gives some wisdom, and the Ten Commandments come from Mount Sinai. This, this incredible stuff is taking place. And you get to chapter 23, and God kind of asks them to pause and to remember the Sabbath, to remember to take that moment, and he lays out for them what genuine worship is supposed to look like. And tonight we're going to pause, and as God has led them all the way to this point throughout the Bible, that tonight he's led us all the way to this place. And that God would have us pause and evaluate and look around and let him show us what's to remain and what's to go. And I would caution you, most of the things that probably need to go are things you're not aware of. They're little things. And maybe some of the things that need to be added are not the big, huge triumphal things in life it's the, the fine-tuning and the adjusting tonight it's amazing we'll look at a couple verses but opening up just look at verse 13 with me for a minute it says and in all that i have said to you be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods nor let it be heard from your mouth he gets into this reality of worship and presenting their sacrifices and he says look at 
I've shown all of this to you. I've sustained you and fed you and set you free, and I've given you guidance through my commandments and all of this stuff. And he says, now, at this point, before we get into worship, he says, and all that I have said to you, be circumspect. It means to keep guard, to take heed, to protect. It means to look around before you do anything else, to take that moment and reevaluate. That before we step into worship, that before we present ourselves as that living sacrifice, God says, I want you to know what you're doing. I don't want you to take this lightly, he says. To look around. He goes on and he says, do not let what's going on in the world, these other gods, do not let them be mentioned in my presence. Do not let it be upon your mouth, not even within your speech. To walk circumspectly. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us a very similar thing. It says, seeing then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That as God's children were to be godly, we're not to be foolish with our time, with our resources, with our emotions, with our decisions, with our attitudes. But to be wise, this is redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's a big statement. It says, look around. Do not be foolish in what you do. Redeem the time that you have. For tomorrow is promised to no one. Not one person can raise their hand in this room with absolute assurity that you will see the sunrise tomorrow, let alone the sunset. Redeem the time. You can love your life, but we're to live it as unto the Lord. It's amazing. What if it's not as big of a burden as it sounds? I, I read this and I think, man, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And you're like, oh. Especially if you're a senior or maybe even juniors beginning to trickle in, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? What kind of school do I go to school? Uh, all of this stuff. And let alone, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? What if it's not that big? Didn't Jesus say my burden is light, his yoke is easy? So then why do we carry around what is light to the Lord and make it heavy to our hearts? God says, man, what I'm calling you to do is not as difficult as you're making out out to be. But I want you to pause and look around and not be foolish and redeem the time. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What is his desire? What is it? I don't think we'll ever escape the the question. But how awesome that he gave us the answer. What is God's will for my life? What if it was as easy as to love him? To love him. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The greatest commandment. Could that really be what God just asks of us? Just love me. My word will direct your steps. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways. I will take care of you. I will sustain you as I do the birds of the air. I mean, all of these things, look at what they just went through. They saw the hand of God provide for them and sustain them and free them and part, I mean, miracles. And he just says, hey, in all that I'm asking you to do, love me. But how? 
Because we get so caught up in how do we love the Lord? I mean, that even, isn't it funny? God says, I want the calling on your life or the number one priority, just love. It's simple. It's a simple calling. And so we take this burden and God says, just love me. Like, okay, that's easy. But how? And so we make now a light burden a difficult thing to accomplish. Have you ever seen a little kid love their dad? Does it look like he's like has a checklist? I've never seen a little five-year-old kid running with a checklist how to make dad happy. I think he feels free to try and knock his dad into the pool or to ask to be pushed on the swing uh, or to shove ice cream in his face or to wrestle. And yet at the same time, without even being spoken of or no list, he just knows, don't yell at mom, uh, clean up my room, don't talk back. And it's just he's free to love him. There's no specified way that if you do these five things, your father will love you. And if you don't, he's displeased. It doesn't work that way. God says, love me. You have the faith as a child does. Otherwise, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Love me. But how? Freely. Love me. But tonight, maybe for some of you guys, there's things in your life that you feel like you're failing. And God says, why do you feel like you're failing? You're right where I want you. You love me? Yes. Are you following me as best I can? You committed? Yes, but not enough. Isn't it funny? We all, we all answer the questions the same. You, are you reading your Bible? Well, not enough. I know that. Are you praying? Not enough. How much is enough? How much is enough? The, the calling on our lives when it says to walk circumspectly, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's to love him with your whole heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. It says, don't even mention to me. Do not mention these other gods. Do not bring them into my presence. Back in Exodus, he says, I don't want to hear about it. Don't even let it be on your lips. That in the same time, there's a freeness, there's to be a holiness. You cannot mix up flirting with the world and having faith in the Lord. Our love for him is to be a pure love. Our worship is to be in spirit and in truth. It cannot be mingled or mixed in with a bunch of garbage. It can't. Because I don't want to hear about it. I want you to be holy. I want you to be zealous for good works. I want you to love me with all of your heart, not most of it. Not even on your mouth. And yet how often do we pretend to be like the world? All in fun and innocent. But the world's seen enough hypocrisy. The world has seen enough lukewarmness. It's to truly love him. It's to truly commit ourselves to him. And in understanding that as he goes into this and talks the next couple of verses that we'll look at for a minute about worship and about our sacrifices and about bringing it to him, we're not to leave undone the things he's called us to do today there are some things that god is calling us to do individually that we keep putting off and keep they're probably very little things but they're not for tomorrow they're for today they're not for next month or next year they're for right now take a look with me the next couple of verses starting at verse 13 says and in all that i have said to you be circumspect, look around, and make not mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast. He gives three different scenarios or settings. 
three different times that this has come to him, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. He says, I don't ever want you to forget the freedom you have. What's the, what's the point of this part? He says, when you do this, do it as you did in the month that I freed you. Never forget. Never forget. He goes on, verse 16, and the feast of the harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field, three times in the year, all your male shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifices with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifices remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. It's interesting. God says three very simple but very serious things. He says, one, don't ever forget the freedom you have and who freed you. You know Moses did not free them, right? Moses was the mouthpiece that God used. God used Aaron to do miraculous things. But it was the power of God that freed them. We talk about not leaving for tomorrow what God's called us to do today. One of the things that he brings up when you look at it, he says, do not have it with leavened bread. If you know anything about the Bible, at this point, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, leaven is a sign of sin. As he said, I don't want to hear about other gods. I don't want you to look like false religions. I don't want you to mingle with the lukewarmness of the world. I want you to love me simply but truly love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We cannot mix in with the world. We cannot flirt with the world and have faith in the Father at the same time. You cannot do it. You ever try to mix white and black paint, make gray? Well, after you do, you'll never get white and black again. It just stays mixed up. God says, I have separated you from the world. You are a light set on a hill. Not to be hidden, not to be shoved underneath some basket or bed, but to stand firm and shine forth the glory of God. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 is interesting. It says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For the Pharisees that heard this, it was money. Mammon equated to money. But the word has a bigger meaning than just dollar bills. It means treasure, the, the sparkly, alluring, attractive things of the world. For some, it's popularity. For some, it's money. For some, it's acceptance. For some, it's possessions. For some, fill in the blank. For some, it's, it's just, I don't know. But God says you cannot serve both. The genuine translation when it comes down to us, you cannot serve God and your own desires. The things of this world cannot own you. You will either love the Lord or you will end up loving yourself, but you cannot love both. Why not? It's a fair question. He answers it because in the end, somewhere along that line of trying to love both, you'll end up having to choose between the two. You will have to. It's like carrying two weights a long distance. You might think, oh, I'm strong. You guys ever try and carry something really heavy for a long distance? You guys ever try and carry something kind of light for a long distance? It's weird. Five pounds can feel like 50 after 10 minutes. 
And eventually there's point, why not? This isn't so bad. Give it time. There will be a point in your life which you will have to stop and you will have to evaluate. And the Lord says you will have to put one down in order to hold on to the other. You cannot sustain carrying them both. To love God and the things of the world, we don't have that ability. You will end up loving one and hating the other. And so we're to pick and choose a side. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 gives a very clear warning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, it doesn't say don't like them. It says don't love them. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That we can like the world, enjoy your life, live it fully. But we don't love it. We love the Lord with our whole heart, all of our strength, all of our mind. We will live for what we love. Do you guys realize that? We will live for what we love. You guys ever experienced loving something too much? I've done it. I've done it. You can love that person too much and they get in the way of your family. What, what song? You can love music too much. You can love a hobby where you start neglecting the people around you. You can love a sport and begin to sacrifice many things. It's in us to love with our whole heart. It's in us. Think of your hobby or your friends or for some of you, it's your family or whatever it is. We are, we are created to love with our whole heart. It's just misdirected sometimes. We can like the world. We can like the things in it, but we cannot love it because you will begin to live for the things that you love. If our love is for temporary things, by the way, our contentment will be temporary. You guys ever been truly content? Maybe you went to Hawaii last year and just got to swing on a hammock between two palm trees, see the coconuts and the sunset over the water with dolphins and surf, like, and you're just like, oh. And then vacation's over and you're back in school doing homework thinking about whatever. But that moment of contentment. Guys, that's what God calls us to. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Imagine that absolute assurity that, hey, this is awesome. This is amazing. And Paul said, hey, in all things, I learned to be content. Sometimes having more than I needed. Other times suffering greatly. How could he do that? His contentment was not based on the things of the world. Because if you love the things of the world, will they not break, fade? Will people not move or grow up or change? And so if it's a moving target, you will have to be a moving person. And so you will never be content. But when our hope and our joy and our faith and our love is fully in Christ, he is the rock, he doesn't move. And so things may be awesome and things may be really hard. But there's this assurity in your soul that God will carry you through to the end. It's amazing. Flirting with the world and having faith in the Lord, they don't mix. God says, no leavened bread, don't bring it in. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. Do not worship me with dirty hands. He goes on the next thing. He tells them immediately after in verse 18, it says that those sacrifices are not to remain until morning. They're not to remain. Nothing's supposed to be left over for the next day. What God gave that day and that opportunity was to be taken now. 
in that moment. If you back up the, the Bible a little bit, look at manna. When God fed them, that bread from heaven is amazing stuff. But he said, take what you have for today and trust me with the tomorrow. Trust me with tomorrow. And people would try and sneak it. He even, isn't it funny, human nature, God says, don't do it. So we're like, I'm going to sneak it because God won't know. God knows. That's why he tells us. So they sneak it. If you've never read it, read the book of Exodus. It's amazing what God does. So they sneak it. They put it in the flower pots. They put it up there. The next morning, maybe they get it before their parents. They grab the jar, open it. I'm going to sneak a bite. And what's there? A bunch of nasty little maggots squirming around. Every single time. No exception. I wonder how often we leave undone the opportunities that God gives us for today. I remember when God says, trust me now. I wonder, trust me now, worship me now. This is worship. He says, worship me today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll deal with tomorrow. Today I want you to be wholehearted in love with me. Yesterday's commitment is not for today either, by the way. This is a repetitive thing in their life. They're to do it over and over again. That yesterday, if you, could, if you went to bed and you woke up this morning, and yes, as a sinful person, you said, I did my bed. I live for the Lord. Awesome. Today's not yesterday. It's a new day. That we're to love the Lord continually and without hesitation. There's something new every day. Why not live for God in everything you do? Why not? It's a hard question. For some of us, we think we do. I bet you don't. I bet there's something. Why not live for God in everything you do now, not tomorrow? The day's almost over. It's not over yet. What if you live for God with everything you have in everything you do? Well, I don't sin. I don't, I don't do all these things. That's not what I'm talking about. If we live for God in everything we do, everything we do will glorify God, right? Does your anger glorify God? No. Then why not give it up? Why not give it up? Because you'd, you'd lose something. There's nothing to hide behind if you give up your anger. But what about pride? Is God glorified in your pride? Not once is he glorified in pride. Give it up. Well, I don't, I don't know. Because then you have to be vulnerable with people. You have to be honest with people. What about in lust? What about in greed? What about those little things? I'm good with God. Okay. Then let go of whatever it is God's been poking at for a while. There's no leavens to come before me. And don't leave for tomorrow what I'm asking you to give up today. And I know it's hard. But that's only when we do it in our strength. God says, no, 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 you come to me over and over again if necessary. Every day, it's a new day. Do not leave for tomorrow what can be done today. And tomorrow, don't rest on what happened the day before. You come to me again. Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Every time I read that, I think of, as of today, right now, I know I'm called to be pastor-teacher, right? I know that. So I have a luxury that maybe you, you're like, I don't know what I'm called to be. Oh, I do. But guess what? He's not talking about that. 
I used to think that. And then you look at it, he's, re- he's writing to the whole church. It's not a pastor's conference or a, a ministry gathering. It's the whole church. Well, then what could he mean? Walk worthy of the calling upon your life. What could that mean to the entire body of Christ? Could it simply mean taking on the name of Christ and calling yourself a Christian? What calling? I don't have a calling yet. Well, yeah, you do. Do you not call yourself a Christian? Yeah. Perhaps that's the greatest calling. That you would walk worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. I'm going to look at the last thing with you guys for just a minute. And I wonder how often I do this. Part of me is thankful. I don't think the Lord will show us how often we fall short. But not leaving undone for tomorrow what God's calling us to to do today. To leave behind the things of the world and the leaven, but giving God our leftovers. I don't know about you guys, I don't like leftovers. I think it's because I had to eat them my entire life growing up, but I hate leftovers. Some of you guys like it, but I'm not talking about like a couple hours old. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed watching the Seattle Seahawks lose football. (laughs) And (laughs) half of the reason I love the Super Bowl is because of the food that's usually accompanying the Super Bowl, right? We had amazing stuff. Oh, so good. Homemade chili and cornbread with honey butter and, uh, oh, oh my gosh, potato skins with crumpled up real bacon and cheese and sour cream. And then there was hot wings and honey wings and dip. And I know, isn't it so good? And so guess what my lunch has been most of the time since then? Leftovers. But then there's the point, right? Am I not wrong? There's a point where the leftovers, the next day, oh, those look a little different. What's the fuzzy stuff? (laughs) The cool thing about cheese, you take a moldy cheese and just kind of shave off the fuzz and it's still good on the inside. You're like, oh, it's as good as new. No one knows. If you went to your friend's house, you're like, want a quesadilla? You're like, sure. And he's like cutting off the mold and trying to throw it in the trash and you saw him doing it. Would you want the moldy cheese quesadilla? Like, no way. There's no way. Or... When things change to just a, a, a strange shade of, like, weirdness. Or the chicken tastes sour, or, you know what I mean? I wonder how God sees it when we try and, and cook something up real quick. And say, look, Lord. And it is nowhere near our He says, look, in verse 16 and verse 19, he says, I want your first fruits. I want your first fruits. What is he talking about? I don't even like apples. I want your first. I want your best. I want your whole heart. Not just what was picked first, but he says, I want the first fruits, the first of the first fruits. It's that when you would go out into the, whether they were orchards or they were crops, you would go out and make that initial sweep and begin to pluck what was ripe and it would be awesome stuff and you'd bring it in. And God says, I want you to go through the best that you have and then get the best 
of the best, and that's what you bring to me, nothing less. And I wonder how often I chop up something old and try and present it to the Lord as something good. Giving God leftovers, there's no way. But if the king were to sit down with you, would you serve him moldy cheese? He deserves the best. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, there's no way. It reminds me of a woman who run in and fell at the feet of Jesus and breaking this flask of expensive oil perfume and begins to cry and weep at the feet of Jesus. She brought him her very best. It was expensive. It was unique. It was personal. But it was her best. If we're to give God our first fruits in life, it has to be personal. It's probably going to be costly. And most likely, people won't understand. Even one of the disciples began to rebuke her and flip out. What is this? We could have sold it and used the money to feed the poor. This, she's wasting the opportunity. Did God rebuke the woman at his feet or the disciple by his side? The disciple by his side, he didn't get it. But genuinely bringing God our first fruits, it's going to be personal, it's going to be valuable, and most likely it will not be understood by the people around us. Being costly, only a worshiper understands the worth of what they're giving, right? Do you remember, and maybe you don't all have this, do you remember the first time, if you guys are hand raisers in worship, do you remember the first time you did that? I remember, maybe I had the luxury of being older when I came to faith, but I remember it was weird and it was awkward. And so you start off kind of cheating. Because you think no one notices you, even though you're hitting both people next to you. That's why you close your eyes, so they, that you don't know what's happening. That's why I close my eyes. I don't want to know what you guys are doing. I just want to be me and Jesus for a minute. And then there's that moment where raising your hands felt like you finally lifted a million pounds. No one around you understands just that simple. Isn't it just, how hard is that? That's easy until it's real. And then that first act costs everything in the moment. Or maybe there's those little things like that pride or that arrogance or that lust or that greed. Or giving up that anger, which people, they'll never see it, they'll never understand it, but it's not for them. It's not for them. For Jesus. Like this woman who gave up something very costly, something very personal, they didn't understand. How hard is it to make a phone call? You don't even have to dial the phone. You say, hey, call Ma. Call in your mother. Like, <laughs> I know times in my life where making a phone call was a gigantic sacrifice to the Lord. What if taking your enemy out to coffee, people say, here, $1.80. No, 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 you don't understand. That means I had to let go of hurt and pain and sorrow and vengeance, and I had to let go of, it cost me everything. But I did it for Jesus. What if it's those things tonight that God's been poking at and pressing at and say, hey, no more mixing yourself up with the world. You cannot flirt with the things of the world and continue on in your faith with me. I want your whole heart. 
and I want it tonight. It's not to be saved. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next time we have communion. I really, really, really will. God says, I, I, I don't know about that. I want it tonight. It's not what you give up. It's also how you give up. Cain and Abel. You know Cain and Abel? Had a little bit of a sibling rivalry going on. Cain kills Abel. One brother wins. What's the deal? God says that he, he loved the worship of Abel and rejected the worship of Cain. Isn't that interesting? You ever wonder why? Why would God accept the worship of one person and reject the worship of the other? That question is answered in the book of Hebrews. It says that Abel, he offered his sacrifice by faith. Implying Cain didn't. If you guys are following the Lord, quote unquote, you're coming to church, you do your Bible homework to appease your parents. It doesn't, it doesn't count. If you think somehow it's going to satisfy the Lord, you're wrong. He's not a works-based God. You can't dance for a moment and make him happy. He says, I want you to love me. With your whole heart, love me. How do I do that? It's the way a child loves his father. Freely. Sillifully, you can be silly in a smart way, but genuinely, that you would love the Lord. That as Romans 12 says, I beseech you, I beg you by the mercies of God that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Sometimes I think it'd be easier to give God a basket of fruit or to harvest a crop of grain or to bring in that lamb. But you got to remember, maybe not. Maybe loving God's not as hard as we make it out to be. And so I'll ask you two questions. One, have you been leaving things undone? Are there things unfinished between you and the Lord that he wants to finish tonight? If so, tonight's the night, man. Second, have you been giving God leftovers? Is he last priority? Do you ask for more forgiveness than you do guidance? Start asking for more guidance, and guess what? You'll start asking for less forgiveness. It's amazing. We talk about communion tonight. As the opportunity is there, and the bread's been broken the way that Jesus was broken for you, and the cup being the example or the reminder that Jesus poured out his life in the blood for you. We're to remember him. Just like he told them the first thing, remember me, your freedom you have in me. But look to me. You know what Jesus did before the Last Supper? Same chapter, reading through the Gospel of John. He gets out a towel and he girds his waist and fills a bowl of water and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Same chapter. Begins to wash the disciples' feet. Says, hey, I loved you first. Greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I think the greatest truth is that he loved you first. There's no one that cannot come to Jesus tonight. If you want him, you tell him. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for your patience, for your grace, for your love, for your sacrifice. God, and ask now, Lord, if there's undone things in our lives, Lord, you'd make it clear, and tonight we'd leave it at your foot. Lord, tonight we'd leave it here. Anger or pride or jealousies, whatever it is, Lord, we'd leave it tonight. Lord, those little things that to, maybe the world will never even see it. Maybe our friends and family would never even understand the cost of a phone call or a conversation. But God, we would break tonight that bottle of perfume over your feet, giving you everything. And Lord, if we've held back, we've been giving you these moldy leftovers. Lord, tonight we want to give you the best of our best, our first fruits. Lord, we want to give you everything. And so tonight, Lord, renew us. Give us a steadfast heart. God, in all that we do, may we not be foolish but wise, redeeming the time, 